My guest on episode four of the Leanne Wood podcast is someone who is close to home. I first met this veteran anti-war activist in 2003 when we were both in the Cardiff Stop the War Coalition, which had been set up to stop the military invasions of Afghanistan and Iraq. The work involved many public meetings and demonstrations, and though we were not successful in stopping the wars, there are lessons to be learned from that time. I thought it was worth reflecting on what we did to try to stop the wars and to think about what we can do now about wars, political accountability and militarism in general. Ian Brown has been my partner since the protest held in London in November 2003 against the official visit of George W. Bush. Episode 4 is a look back at what we did to try to stop the war. You have connections to the Middle East as you've worked in various places there. Can you start by saying a bit about your connection with the region? My connection is that I studied Arabic when I was at university in St Andrews from 1980 to 84. Hmm. During that time, I spent time in Egypt learning Egyptian Arabic. I then went back out and worked as an English teacher in Cairo from 84 to 86. I then got a job in Iraq with a Swiss children's charity called Teodizom. I went there in the beginning of 87. And I've also travelled around in Syria, Jordan, occupied territories, Yemen, Iran. And you're a fluent Arabic uh, speaker. I was a fluent Arabic speaker. (laughs) Okay. Probably a bit rusty now. And you have friends there now? Well, I still have someone that I knew when I worked in Iraq who uh, isn't an Iraqi because I was working for a charity in a prisoner of war camp working with young Iranians. So I met an Iranian prisoner of war. Uh, This is back in uh, the late 80s. And we've kept in contact ever since. In fact, I went to visit him and his family in uh, 2002. So when did you return to the UK? I got back to the UK in 98, in fact, after my last assignment in Cambodia. And you moved to Wales to study in Cardiff. Was that in 2001? 2002. 2002. Came down to the university, yeah. You couldn't have been in Cardiff long then before you got involved with the Cardiff Stop the War Coalition? Yes. Before I got down there, the the anti-war movement had started to grow. This was in the middle of 2002, I think, something like that. So when I moved down I to Cardiff in September 2002, I contacted to stop the war and I was put in touch with people in Cardiff and I went along and that's how my involvement started. So why did you feel the need to get involved in the Stop the War Coalition? Of course we'd witnessed 9-11 and the awful decision then to invade Afghanistan, I think in Britain's case for the fourth time, which we all knew was going to end up in a disaster. Shortly afterwards, the connection was made, I think it was first of all made by the Americans, that somehow Saddam Hussein was linked to Al-Qaeda. Of course, that was just a downright lie. (laughs) Then there was the story about the WND. Blair joined in with Bush Jr. And it was clear that they decided to invade Iraq, possibly because George Bush's father hadn't got rid of him (laughs) 10 years before. And they were building a case for the invasion of Iraq, on lies, on the 
on the existence of WMD in Iraq, which of course were never found, confirmed by Hans Blix. So it was all building up. So I thought, you know, this this whole area that I'd loved, worked in, travelled to, you know, was going to go up in flames. Of course, subsequently, it has gone up in flames. Mm. So I thought I'd do my best to try and stop it. The link between Afghanistan and Iraq in terms of that campaign to try to stop the war. Can you, I mean, you just said there there was no link. Can you expand on that point? You mean the link that was made by the Americans and the British? Yes. They started to claim, after the invasion of Afghanistan, which which had immediately started to go horribly wrong, Rumsfeld, Cheney, Bush, Blair, all started to, Colin Powell, of course, uh, he was instrumental, all started coming out with this line that somehow Saddam Hussein was linked to Al-Qaeda. Now, anybody who knows anything about the Middle East will realise that there is no way Saddam Hussein, who was, okay, a Sunni Muslim, but highly secular and, you know, cracked down on anybody in Iraq, Sunni or Shia, who professed any interest in religion. You know, even if you went to the mosque a couple of times a day, you'd have someone from the Secret Service after you. So there was, there, there's no way that Saddam Hussein, or, or indeed, you know, Osama bin Laden and his, and his lot, would have anything to do with one another. So it was just a lie. Mm. So, you know, when you see leaders lying day after day, because they've made up their mind to invade, you know, you just can't accept that. Mm. We were both on that huge demonstration, which was more than a million people. It felt at the time that we were doing something useful, but it came to nothing. Can you say something about that? There was a great, fantastic wave of protest against this war. And in many ways, it changed me. I, I know we didn't achieve a lot. I, we didn't stop that and we, didn't, we haven't stopped uh, any subsequent wars. But personally, carrying out actions, um, we, I remember one action we did. We went into a, a, a military uh, base, I think, um, somewhere in South Wales. And we approached the fence and we were going to climb over it. It was a high fence, maybe three metres high. We approached the fence and standing behind the fence was one security guard. So he, of course, was telling us that we mustn't, uh, we mustn't climb over. And there must have been about a dozen of us, I think. And so we started walking away after this guy had told us uh, in no uncertain terms not to come in, that we were trespassing, which obviously we were. But then something happened and we realised that actually 12 of us could just ignore what this guy said. So we did. We turned around, we walked back and we just climbed over and we went in and we um, created a nuisance of ourselves. We were all arrested. But that one moment for me was very, very empowering. And so from that point of view, all those actions, those demonstrations had a great impact on my self-confidence, my sense of, uh, you know, where my values lay and what my principles were. And how much we can achieve, actually. We can achieve short-term impact through these actions. You protested against the Senev. Can you tell us a bit about that? Well, yes, that was <laughs> that was very that was the first thing I I did first the first action I did. The aim was to disrupt the Senate because, quite frankly, the Senate at the time was apart from um, a couple of uh, AMs in Plaid Cymru, 
Rodri Morgan and the Labour Party were utterly useless. In fact, Rodri Morgan didn't even have the guts to, to come down on one side or the other, which I thought was utterly pathetic. We decided to disrupt the Assembly during uh, First Minister's questions. So we applied. You, you had to apply to go and sit in the public gallery. So we applied. We were accepted. We went and sat down. And we had about... We, we coordinated the actions. So we we were going to leap over the barrier. Can I just say this worth pointing out that this was the old Senate <laughs> chamber, not the current Senate chamber. The old Senate chamber was in the T. Howell building and there was an open public gallery to the rear of the chamber which people could at that point in time claim over which you did we did so uh, basically we sat there and we had to watch the clock until the, the time that we were going to leap over it and I remember sitting there watching the hands go round uh, feeling my legs you know turn to jelly getting nervous thinking that if I, as I was going to jump over this barrier that I was going to trip and fall flat on my face so Anyway, the time came, we all leapt over, we ran around, we were shouted at by mainly un- unsympathetic AMs. We were pounced on by security men and dragged out. So that was that. But it was good. Just before we got to know each other properly, you decided to carry out a citizen's arrest citing war crimes against Iraq. And you performed that on the then Prime Minister, Tony Blair. Can you tell us how you ended up trying to arrest the Prime Minister for war crimes? The war started in 2003, March, and this was at the time of the Labour Party conference in Brighton later on that year, so it would have been about September. And, you know, we were seeing shocking pictures, footage of Iraqis being killed, total mayhem, chaos. And Blair was... I just felt so unrepentant, so blinded by the sense of his own importance and the fact that he was, you know, in his mind, riding the world stage, that uh, he, uh, I, th- I don't know, I just decided one day, I knew the Labour Party conference was coming up, so it was a spur-of-the-moment decision just to drive down to Brighton. I didn't even have, I didn't know what, what I was going to do. I just, I just wanted to do something. So I got down to Brighton the on the eve of Blair's speech and I wanted to get... I, my idea was to get in to watch the speech. So I was asking a few people the evening before, wandering around, and it was clear to me that the only way I'd, I'd get into the conference centre was if I joined the Labour Party. So I had to join the Labour Party. <laughs> so I gave my details and I was told to come back the following day to pick up a... The, the membership card, which would have let me into the conference. So I went the following day and I thought, you know, there's no way that this, this is going to be there. Anyway, it was. So I got the membership card and walked into the conference hall. And then I realised that to get into Blair's speech, you needed uh, a ticket because I had no ticket. So I was asking around, asking if I could get, you know, get in. Oh, would you, would, has anybody got a spare ticket? Of course, nobody did. So I... Because I'd, I'd, I'd planned to get into the, the, the speech and then, and then disrupt it, just stand up and, and say something. Anyway, that never happened. So I got a bit downhearted and went into the bar and had a pint and <laughs> sat down. And I, was, I chatted to a couple of blokes, you know, and again, desperately, you know, last minute trying to get into the conference speech. So anyway, finished the drink, 
wandered downstairs, out, and I found myself, unbelievably, right at the main entrance into the conference hall on a walkway. TV cameras, banks of TV cameras right at the, at the entrance. And the walkway was empty and, well, a few people hanging around. And Labour, I could see Labour politicians walking down towards the conference room. So I just sat down and I had a newspaper and I sort of buried myself below this newspaper. And I thought, you know, there's no way that they're going to leave me here. The security's going to come up. I'm going to be channeled. Police all over the shop. Anyway, I sat there and I sat there and, and they came down and then they'd all come in. The last person, of course, was was Blair with his wife. And I could hear a big crowd and clapping from the top of this walkway. And they started to come down. So I'm sitting there, gradually getting more and more nervous, thinking, sort of hoping that someone would come and move me on so I didn't have to do anything. But they didn't. So Blair and, and uh, Cherie and Tony sort of walked up and they were parallel with me. I could see them. And then I allowed them to walk beyond me towards the cameras. I thought, you know, I've got to try and get this on, on camera. A, because then the police won't uh, kick the shit out of me. But B, you know, it might make the news. So I stood up, didn't run towards them, didn't, you know, didn't, wasn't aggressive, just walked up to Blair. And then I said to him that I was arresting him for war crimes on behalf of the people of Iraq for war crimes against them. Did he respond? No, he didn't. I think Cherie looked round, but Blair, whose face was, whose head was orange, I remember that, above his uh, shirt line, just kept on walking, didn't even, seemed to me, didn't even bat an eyelid. And then as I got close, police officers intervened and, and wrestled me to the ground. And you were arrested? And I was arrested, first of all, for being drunk and disorderly, until I'd pointed out to them that I wasn't, and then they forgot that. <laughs> So they kept me in a cell in the Brighton Police Station until he'd finished his speech, I think. And then they escorted me back to my car and I left. So no charges were pressed? No charges were pressed. Unfortunately, you know, I would have, it would have been good to have that happen, but they weren't going to do that. What do you think should happen to Tony Blair now? Well, I think he needs to be arrested because the crimes haven't gone away. I mean, we can see the result of that invasion of Iraq, not only in the, uh, you know, the hundreds of thousands of Iraqis that have been killed, um, the civil war, the destruction of the country, the, uh, the, you know, the fact that the economy is on its knees, corruption is is high. But that conflict has basically spread out. The problem was that when the coalition forces went in, they dismissed the Iraqi army, they dismissed the police force, they caused a power vacuum and Al-Qaeda, who, you know, they they were trying to get rid of by invading Afghanistan, uh, reappeared and then became ISIS. So, you know, Blair's actions and Bush's caused misery to to not only, you know, Iraqis, but Syrians, Lebanese, where all these refugees have gone. Huge, huge problem. Huge problem. It was an illegal war, plain and simple. No doubt. There are many activists around who were campaigning against the war. Many of us felt very downhearted when we failed to stop that war. 20 years on nearly and the situation is still grim in the Middle East. What can we do now as activists who were around then, but also newer, younger people who are looking at the situation in Afghanistan now with new eyes? How can we intervene to try to change the situation? If anybody sees Tony Blair, they know exactly what to do. But beyond that, 
we must never, never give up hope because we must always think that whatever actions we did back then, even though we we didn't we didn't stop the Iraq War, we didn't stop you know subsequent uh, military action in Libya, for example, that has caused huge problems over there. Our actions, you know, are not useless. We have made political leaders think. We have shown them that if they try and carry out these wars, that we will respond. And so hopefully we've made a mark. And with the this catastrophe that was the withdrawal of forces from Afghanistan, then I think America and hopefully Britain will have learned a valuable lesson that these, you know, imperialist adventures that they undertake mustn't happen again. But if they do, we'll be at them. There is no doubt that much of what was predicted by the Stop the War Coalition came to pass and many of the problems caused by those wars will remain for many years to come. I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts and insights about the situation in the Middle East with us and your reflections on the campaign against the war from 20 years ago. Diolch and Vauriauni and Brown. I'd like to say Diolch to those who have helped me with this project. Diolch to the team at Audacity, the open source audio editing software used to make this podcast. Diolch to Nick James for the artwork. Diolch to Llewyn Stefan, the creator of the music. And finally, Diolch to all the podcast supporting subscribers. I'm grateful to all of you. I'm looking for support to continue to make these podcasts. You can become a supporting subscriber by checking out my Patreon page. You have been listening to the Leanne Wood Podcast.